The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect like the, the policy, policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The, the views, views and, opinions and opinions of this show, of this show do, do not constitute not. recommendations for therapy. Please contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? Communication is life. Essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or names. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we belong. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science episode number 172. I'm Matt Hott, a speech and language pathologist working in Ohio in the middle schools and with adults uh, in dementia and stroke rehab, joined by the PTSD SLP herself, Rachel Archambault. Hi. Hello, Rachel. How is Florida treating you? I hate it here. Oh, no. <laughs> we'll dive into that. And our pediatric expert uh, in a hailstorm, Michelle Wintering. This is true. I'm I'm trying to keep the background noise down because we are in the middle of a huge thunder and hailstorm here. But yes, Texas is great. Completely unrelated, uh, they are filming Twister Two right now, so I am excited for that movie to come out. Interesting. In that came out. <laughs> How many years? Yes, ago? it did. Oh, on today's episode, we're going to dive into the best SLP programs in the country, as well as looking at the power differential between clinicians and researchers. We have our SS pod shout out. We have our due process. And I had the opportunity to sit down with Stephanie Swigert an SLP out of the Golden State Speech Pathology Services, talking about compassionate communication and how we can use that in our field. Of course, we want to hear from you. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com or speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I was updating the website today, guys, or girls, or late. I should get guys out of my, out of my vernacular. Just say y'all. I was updating the website, y'all, today. And uh, I've realized that the show has been on air since 2017. And it said, well, I, that doesn't sound right. Is that right? Michelle, it says you joined in 2018. Did you join a year after the show started? Mm -hmm. I joined in 2018 when I was um, pregnant with my son, who was born oh. in 2018. So. Yes. But I feel like the show's been on longer than that. It All right, well, I might like have forever. to update the website even more because it was <laughs> whatever Denver was. I don't know. Hmm. Anywho, updating the website, make sure you head over to that speechsciencepodcast.com. And uh, I want to hear about y'all's weeks, but let me tell you about mine. Uh, I have now attempted to interview with Asha three times on the purpose of a workload caseload calculator and each time there has been a small emergency that i have to put out in my school district canceling the asha interview and i feel like they think i'm ghosting them because it's like an hour beforehand and i'm like hey i know we're interviewing about the workload but something not on my workload just popped up and i have to go sit in a meeting about this 
if you were a date, <laughs> but it's that becoming part of your me. workload, right? That's I true. mean, that's becoming part of your workload, even if it's not direct clinical. Rachel, it's, I'm texting an hour beforehand. It doesn't matter if you canceled on me three times in a row, you would be in my phone's graveyard, never to oh. pop up again. Womp, womp, womp. Yeah, it's like having a babysitter that cancels three times yeah. in a row. You're yeah. not gonna call well, that babysitter again. That's, that's true. Well, they've <laughs> scheduled it again for Tuesday, so we're gonna see how this good one goes. for them. Good. Well, in fairness, one was like an unidentified like fire drill that was happening in the middle of like the scheduled time, and I was like, yeah, I don't think I should be doing it while the alarm's going off. Mm. I'm making excuses, aren't I? <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Uh, on other sides, I went camping with my boys and I posted in the Discord, I had back-to-back weeks of awesome therapy ideas. Cool. I have a patient who, or a former patient, who uh, was like into woodworking and stuff. So I stopped at the Dollar Tree and picked up a couple of those dollar wood projects. And we built them in therapy and then painted them this week. That's awesome. So, and I say former because we just discharged. So good luck, sir or ma'am, whoever you are. <laughs> How was y'all's week? How is, uh, are you, so you weren't near the flooding, were you, Rachel? Yes, I was directly on oh, top of the flood. Were you really? I thought, yes. why do I think you're closer to Orlando? Is it no. just because I met you in Orlando? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Yeah, she's not near Orlando. I am. Listen, I am Michelle, in I Fort for Lauderdale. years thought you were in Arizona. So, okay. I am so, in you Fort still think Lauderdale. I'm in Arizona. <laughs> oh, so you were like dead smack into the. Flood. Yes. Yeah. Yes. To the point. So, I. The last time we recorded, you guys wished me well going to my brother's wedding. Yes. And so the flooding happened Wednesday night. You, We have never seen anything like this. It was a thousand year record that we got 26 inches of rain in like eight hours. So the, wow. there were hundreds of abandoned cars in the middle of the road. My parking garage, thankfully, I, I live on like one of the top floors. It's like a small building. Um, but my car is on the sixth floor. So there was getting out would have been a problem because the streets were flooded. Um, but my flight was canceled 1130 that night and we were supposed to leave here at like seven o'clock in the morning. So I had to rebook a few family members. Um, and I was concerned about even being able to get out of Fort Lauderdale and thankfully an Uber in an SUV picked me up, but you could hear the water sloshing under his car. And I just like covered my eyes and I was like, he's going to turn back at any point. And thankfully he didn't. We went out of a different airport because Fort Lauderdale was closed for three and a half days. Um, Made it to my brother's wedding, officiated the wedding. And then there was weather coming back. And then I came back with COVID for the third time. So it has been a tough few weeks, but at least it's dry now. Well, no, it's not. It's storming right now, but it's drier. It's drier. Congratulations. Thanks. Well, we're glad you're with us and that your car did not get flooded. Me too. Thank you. From one stormy location to the next, Michelle, how is it on the set of Twister 2 right now? Mm, I hope not. We've had a lot of tornadoes in Central Texas this past year. Did you really? Hope for no more of those. Yeah. Some 20 minute, one was 20 minutes from us. So Um, anyways, all that to say, yes, there's a lot of thunderstorms going on right now. We've had some big storms here, but I've been seeing a couple in-home patients as well as my kids started back with swim lessons. So hoping to get them more and more comfortable in the pool. And, um, I used to teach swim lessons. So I 
between having kids, one who was born in 2020 and one who was two years old in 2020, um, I, I wish they could have had more swim lessons by now, but um, excited to have them learning. Good. We're, we're keeping our nine-year-old in swim lessons, even though he's a competent swimmer, I guess I could call it. And it was because I was listening to a podcast with somebody and they said that the best thing their family ever did was make them do swim lessons up until they could drive in high school. And the idea wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, they're becoming a better swimmer. Cause I guess at one point, like you just stop improving your ability and you start improving your endurance and your strength. So mm -hmm. endurance, like, oh, strength, technique, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Like instead of like, oh, you're no longer worried about drowning. Then all of a sudden you become the strong swimmer that can do whatever. So I was like, oh, I like that idea. So. Yeah. I, when I was young, I remember being school age and first, second grade, and it was either I could join the swim team or I could do the next level of swim lessons, which was teaching me what swim team would really teach me the endurance and the form and all of that. And so I started doing summer swim team at that point. Did you guys know I was a lifeguard? I was too. I know my, my round physique does not give way to <laughs> me being a lifeguard in a former life. But I was a lifeguard at a Boy Scout camp and I had to lifeguard a lake. And there's nothing scarier than lifeguarding a lake that you can't oh. see more than six inches below the waterline. Uh, mm -mm. But there was a part in the Boy Scout uh, lifeguard training where we had to swim like 500 yards or something like that. But they didn't care how long you did it or what stroke you did it. So I did mine as the backstroke. Uh and it was like a pseudo float backstroke for 500 yards. So Whatever way. I was also nicknamed Rescue Matt uh, because I would always have to float on the little red buoy thing. And in drills, sometimes <laughs> they had to rescue Matt. Oh, my gosh. But I got my lifeguarders, so we're good. That's great. Moving from Rescue Matt into topics at hand... When something is going good, we have the SS Pod shout out. And this week is not to another SLP. It is to a soulless corporation who is doing something actually good. Mattel unveiled their very first Barbie doll with Down syndrome. And I love this from an inclusion idea. Uh, we made sure that my daughter with the hearing, uh, with the cochlear implant, mm -hmm. we got her the hearing aid Barbie. But I just love this idea of, of more inclusion in the toys and, and, and dolls and representation. Like mm -hmm. I, I, one thing I like about the Barbie brand is that they pick a human to uh, like model the dolls after. And, uh, this is based well, off. I wasn't a, aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they chose this doll based on the likeness of a person with down syndrome. And, um, I think she's actually interviewed in this article that she's so excited to see. Um, let me see what her name is. But uh, I just saw a video on TikTok. You know, I, I'm on TikTok all the time. And um, <laughs> they they had a, um, a video of other creators that represent other communities that they interviewed the, the human that the doll is based after. And I think that's a really cool thing. And Ellie then also, Goldstein. if you looked at, oh, Ellie Goldstein, she's an actress, right? A, a British, British model. 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 Okay. I've, I've no, I've seen her name. Um, but 
the doll also has AFOs, the ankle foot orthotics. Yes. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's another type of representation that people will see. Yeah. Well, and and here's the thing that I I, I love. It, it's you're not, you know, with with a, with a situation like this, or the hearing aid Barbie, or the Barbie with the wheelchair. You may not have every parent run out there and buy that for their daughter or their son, but you know for a fact that somebody that has any of those diagnoses or symptoms are going to buy that for their child and is going to give that child an opportunity to see somebody like themselves as adult. Because I remember having GI Joes and thinking that, oh, that could be me if I did a thousand pushups and fought Cobra. It's the same way with, I'm assuming it's the same way when you're playing with Barbies. I could have that Corvette or that dream house, but it's that idea of just seeing yourself. I love that. And there's a ton of research out there over the last hundred years about the impact of dolls and, and seeing yourself not only in dolls, but like books and, and being represented it being represented in the media that you consume. And that does include dolls and, also one thing to note that when I'm looking at this doll, I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, this doll has Down syndrome. And I think they must have someone on the team that is making sure that they're, you know, there's no specific stereotypes that are uh-huh. offensive or anything. So I think, and I clicked on a link from this article that this is part of their line. It says, we are Barbie, the most diverse doll line. And it talks about representation. The first Barbie with Down syndrome at um, 35 skin tones, 97 hairstyles, nine body types and counting. And there's people in wheelchairs. There's, uh, I mean, uh, there's a doll, a Ken doll right now with vitiligo, the skin condition. So there's a lot to be represented here. And that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And if you've been around kids, which we have, you have them or you work with them, right? They often are pointing out like, oh, he has the same shoes as me, or yep. he has this, has long hair like me or the same bow as me or something, right? They're always finding similarities once they, and that's a language skill too. Those oh, yeah. Good finding comparisons and similarities and what's the same or different between you and someone else. And I mean, with my kids, my two and four-year-old, they pointed out. They say just like me so often. And for my son, James, when he had his cast, even now that he has his cast off, which is by no means a disability, but something that Mm -hmm. is such a a prime memory for him right now, when he sees someone in a picture or something else that had a cast or a brace, he's like, oh, I know what that is. I had that. And um, I think how huge it would be for anyone who has a device Uh or something they use every day to see that in an ad somewhere or to see that in a doll that they can get on their Christmas list. And that, I I know we talk about this a lot, but it's, it seems like such a simple thing that can Mm -hmm. have such a huge impact. Oh, I see it with, you know, uh, as my son pointed out at the toy store this weekend, our, my, we, my boys and I, we collect action figures. And the difference is, our action figures don't have soft clothes. So if they had soft clothes, they're dolls. But since it's molded plastic, they're action figures, mm-hmm. whatever. I appreciate your distinction. <laughs> right? But like, as we see it, it, it wasn't mine, it was my kids. But like, as we see it when our collections, like being able to see action figures of every different shade of skin and body type and kids are able to idolize an, a superhero that looks like them, it, it's so important. Did you guys see though that they were talking about the wheelchair Barbie not fitting in the dream house 
elevator? No. But yeah. that's ironic. Barbie right. ADA. <laughs> Barbie's got to update the house. So ADA. evidently there's that. And also I'm excited for the, I'm unironically excited for the Barbie movie. I would actually, cons- I haven't been to a movie in a theater in a really long time. And I actually kind of want to go that it just seems very light and, and funny and bright. And, and something I you could go just enjoy. Yeah. What, what got me was the different male and female characters talking to each other. And they just all kept calling each other Barbie and Ken, except for uh, what is her niece and that and Alan, the Skipper? forgotten friend. Skipper. Chelsea or Skipper or something. But Skipper, I thought was the. Uh, is a younger yeah body. that's right so good job for mattel on the flip side of the ss pod shout out is uh things don't go well and we bring it to the court of public opinion it is the ss pod due process and rachel i believe you had something to bring up to the topic this week sure so there's been a lot of discussions in the speech field recently um one being that a pretty well-known SLP had posted something on social media and it did not have a good response, but a lot of people put their time and effort into responding to this post and then it was dirty deleted. So Mm. I know on many Facebook pages, specifically like speech Facebook groups, they have rules that if you join this group, no dirty deletes. And that is to avoid deleting a bunch of, you know, mental work that was put into educating or you know whatever goes into those comments um people spend their time commenting on those things and when you dirty delete it erases evidence of that so and for those of us over the age of 36 and a half what is a dirty delete a dirty delete is when something is posted and it's supposed to be there and then you're not supposed to erase it when you just delete that post from ever existing. Um, and you so can't if it doesn't go it. your way. Yeah, I think that most people would dirty delete um, when a topic is it can be heated, it can be controversial. And that's what this um, post was that it was a, a controversial post and the person did not want to be in the wrong and deleted the work and people um, i think people delete when they're embarrassed i Mm. and they do they do and i think there are many people out there that will accept that you know what i was wrong or i will be committed to learning from this and letting people have their say in the comments um and there is controversy controversy overall whether dirty delete should happen at all like Um, And people always take screenshots. Um, There's never actually a dirty delete because they still exist and people post comments, but people repost the screen. Yes. Yes. And if someone were, if someone still wants to engage or add another thought, that ability is taken away from them. So it, it silences the conversation from happening. So um, it was just an interesting uh, conversation about dirty deletes in general. I think that this discussion is always being brought up uh, and the reason why, and we saw it in this post play out. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it brings up a bigger point that we are professionals and we need to make sure that when we post something into a public forum, either being TikTok or Snapchat or Discord or whatever, we need to make sure that 
it is a reflection of who we are professionally. I mean, I know there's an argument about I should be able to post what I want yeah. on my private stuff, but I think we lose that ability when we have stuff posted either with our face or with our name. I mean, Rachel, I love some of the stuff that you post, Mo like 99% of the stuff you post on TikTok, I love. And unfortunately or fortunately, you may not have your name attached, you have your face attached. And I was just watching the one about the uh, trauma-informed uh, escalator ride. And you are very good at putting your name and your stamp to that stuff. But I think that a lot of people in our field forget there's that whole professional side and they'll just make some random, what might be funny in their group of friends posts to the internet. And I, you know. You know, and at the same time, I appreciate when people post things and they forget about those personal lines mm -hmm. because that makes me not want to Bingo. be a part of their business. It, it, I like seeing, I like giving my business to people who I agree with, which uh, there's a discussion about that in general, um, that we should be able to go to professionals we don't agree with, but also our field is heavily tied into ethics and things like that. So it, it gets very, very heated very quickly. Um, and I do take that risk when I post some things that are more controversial. I understand that I'm at risk of people not agreeing with me in the comments. And I have never done a dirty delete. And I would respect that if someone is calling me out on something, I would say, you know what? I will take this as a learning experience and leave the comments so people can refer back to it and look at all the educating that has been done here um, and and learn from that embarrassment. My series. Thank you, Siri. She didn't get that. But yeah, I, I think that <laughs> we, we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that is not natural for a lot of people. That's not easy mm -hmm. for people to do. And I talk about this from a trauma-informed perspective that when I present, I talk about have we caused harm as providers? And there's not one SLP that's going to raise their hand and be like, me, 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 I've caused harm. That That's something that is a really heavy reflection. So that's something that you have to ease your way into because you can't just like jump to that. Um, but to be able to say like, yes, I have caused harm, not intentionally or maybe intentionally, um, that that's a big jump. So I, I just the dirty delete conversation. I appreciate when groups have that and will say, you know what, if you dirty delete, you're, you're out of the group because you didn't respect the rules that you agreed to. And this, I, I feel like it kind of speaks to a, just our, our world is so mediated, right? Mm -hmm. Like through some kind of media, social media, of course, but every medium that we communicate through, and I, you could do a dissertation on just the dirty delete discussion, right? Of, um, of what is it's, it's move almost moved almost beyond just social media etiquette because it's becoming our day-to-day -day etiquette and expectations mm -hmm. because so much of our communication is via the internet. Well, and that's what blows my mind is when people are like, and, and even when they get called out for dirty deletes, they're like, well, it's just a joke and I should be able to make these and everyone's too sensitive. And it's like, well, no, I mean, if what you're making a comment on upsets a majority of people, you probably shouldn't say it, let alone write it down. And a lot of times, you know, I, I saw a conversation about 
the discussion of the doctors not being or now allowed not to serve certain groups of people in different states, like the rules are passing. Uh, and I saw mm-hmm. someone make a comment where they said, well, it's good to know if your doctor hates you. And it's like, no, like you, you your doctor shouldn't have an opinion of like their opinion about your life choices should not be at all impacting your their, care. Their, yeah, your there, care. Thank there's you. been yeah. several, I mean, several, uh, medical shows that go mm-hmm. off of that topic, you know, about George O'Malley and Bailey have to treat the Nazi, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. and then they, they cut the Nazi, the swastika out of his, his chest and everything. And there there's, you are supposed to treat, I, I know when I was in acute care, um, there was a prisoner that we had to treat and the cops are with him and everything. And they're like, you don't want to know what he's done. Like you're going to like feel differently. And it's like this man like had a stroke, like he still need, he needs the the swallow study. He needs all these things, you know, it's really hard to separate in, in those instances, but that's one of their oaths that they take as doctors that. They, I had a previous yeah. patient once tell me uh, they were mad their family got rid of all their slave memorabilia. And I was like, and what was, I'm curious, how did you handle that? I was just like, oh, I, my parents collect Coke memorabilia on their bar and I yeah, collect it, action figures. Something new like, yeah. yeah, it was just like, I like they weren't saying anything to get a rise. They were just kind of, going through the trauma of rehab and the stroke and they, you know, they even, I still remember it. They even said, uh, my kids don't want me talking about this to anybody. And it's like, as sucks as it is, I, you know, I obviously don't agree with their opinion on what makes good antiquing, but like at at the same point, they do need to be treated, you know, it's, it sucks, but it's an ethical debate that mm-hmm. will continue on. It's, uh, I think, forever. Continue the debate, speech science podcast at gmail.com, or you can send us your due process uh, at the same place or on the website, speech science podcast. Did I say that? Speech science podcast.com, speech science podcast at gmail.com. There we go. Changing gears a little bit. Rachel, where did you go to grad school? I went to UCF, University of Central Florida in Orlando. So let's see. According to U.S. News World Report, University of Central Florida is the 55th best out of 261 schools someone could attend for uh, speech and language pathology. It's like 20 something percent, like maybe I don't don't do my math on that. But yeah, it's it's oh, not. Oh. The worst. Uh, Michelle and I went to a better school at Ohio University, and ours was ranked forty-fifth best <laughs> in the country. Uh, number one, graining the number one spot was Vanderbilt University, uh, receiving a peer assessment score of uh, four point six. And uh, when they do these peer assessment scores, it ranges everything from placements to uh, professors and, and quality of life and everything like that. So it's very uh subjective versus objective rated mm-hmm. worst was universidad ana j mendez in guarbo puerto rico at number 261 and this is all the schools that offer a master's in all 261 grad oh, wow. programs mm-hmm. 
Hmm. Uh, so the, the top 10, Vanderbilt, Northwest, Purdue, West Lafayette, University of Pittsburgh, University of Wisconsin-Madison, University of Arizona, Iowa, Kansas, UNC, Chapel Hill, and uh, tied for 10th was Boston University, Indiana University, MGH, Institute of Health Professions, University of Texas, Austin, University of Texas, Dallas, University of Washington. That's your top 10. Hmm. Ohio State, Michelle, was number 16. Um, I did some leveling classes there, but I did not do my <laughs> master's there. It's funny. I keep getting an email from, uh, what is it? Cleveland State. Because I took a uh, couple leveling courses there and Cleveland State is 170th. But they've right. just started re-emailing me and saying I'm an alumni of Cleveland State. <laughs> I did leveling classes at Ohio State University at, um, I'm sorry, the Ohio State University <laughs> at Cincinnati and at Bowling Green. They were all remote, but yeah. I like these rankings because they're fun little bragging things, but they ultimately mean nothing. 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 Mm-hmm. It is interesting though, because it, it, and then I'm curious, is accreditation and everything part of that? Mm, I don't know. What did they rank on? Was it all more the subjective experience based? Mm -hmm. It's all, it's all peer assessment scores. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Uh, So the methodology, let's see, 261 programs. Let's see. Yeah. This is from 2020 as well. Ranked in 2020. Is that what this was? 2020? Well, it said, no, it says the 2023-24 edition. Oh, updated its annual rankings. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, it was all a survey. Oh, okay, here you go. The surveys was administered from fall of 2022 through early 2023 and had a 38% response rate. Uh, They rated the academic quality of programs on a scale of one to five. Fully accredited programs Mm -hmm. in good standing during the survey period are ranked. So. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then it says, yeah, 200, all 261 master's programs offer degrees that are accredited by the Council on Academic Accreditation in Audiology and Speech-Language Pathology. I think the, the hard part is, is that when you're doing these peer rankings and, and they're rating on whatever, you're going to have some survey bias mm-hmm. because they only had 38% respond. So usually people that respond to surveys either love something or hate something. Say what? It's one of the two. That's when you give customer feedback. Well, and and it's funny. Like I remember I went to Kent state for my leveling courses before grad school and the conversations kind of ranked like this. If you wanted to work in the medical field, you really wanted to go to case Western up in Cleveland. And if you wanted to work in the schools as research, you really wanted to go to Ohio state. And if you wanted to work in schools, you were looking at Kent, Akron, or Ohio University. And interesting. I did, right. I didn't I did my leveling all over the place. I don't feel like I got the same feel in Ohio. So there you go. Just the difference yeah. of where and, I did leveling classes. And I think it's funny that like you may be a medical placement somewhere and be in a program that's maybe tailored more towards the schools. And you're going to hate your placement and vice versa. If you're more school and you're somewhere uh, in the medical placement, because we know that programs are hard to get into. And, and that 
you know, that's my other point is that like, it's fun for us because we've all been out for 10 years, right? Are you at 10 years yet, Rachel? Almost. Uh, December is 10 years from undergrad. There you go. Why are you so young? Uh, she's not that young. She's but no, right. like, <laughs> but you're getting to the point now where it's a fun little like, oh, where's your school ranked? Ah, okay, it's over. But it does create that weird more pressure for our undergrads. Well, I, I vaguely, I, not vaguely, I, I vividly remember looking up in from undergrad mm-hmm. to grad school. I do remember looking up these um these rankings and i mm-hmm. wanted to go to ngh i had a thing for boston that i was <laughs> like i want to go to northeastern i want to go to you know at, because mm-hmm. of lists like this but i also like in florida the one nice thing is that our prices are much better uh for so I knew a lot of people that came from Michigan that were like I'm gonna come to Florida be in the sun be near Disney and pay <laughs> out of state tuition that is cheaper than the in state tuition wow. at my my near school university so I I understand that um, most of the stuff in the top those are very expensive schools so it's very interesting I'd like to know more about the the factors that go into this and um. That's a great point that you just made, though, that mm-hmm. this is gives these schools more reason to charge more and it be does. more selective on who they let in. So I probably get more applications. Yeah, mm-hmm. I actually I have to send you guys a podcast episode that just came up in my brain from uh, Malcolm Gladwell's revisionist history. And I don't remember, I have to re-listen to the episode, but he talks about these rankings that like every year, is it this US news yeah, report that they come it. out yep. um, with the regular rankings of the best colleges and what they're based on. And it's based on bupkis. So yep. um, mm-hmm. I, I have to send you that because I think it's an interesting listen. I haven't listened to it in like five years. I just um, pulled it up. So I can save it. Yeah. It's, it's uh, a really good episode that you're like, yeah, that is right. Like, why are they ranked better than me? And there's always, I'm sure in Ohio, it's very similar to the feuds of uh, Florida that we have. UF is the best. I'm doing air quotes for everyone. My brothers are gators. Um, And there's a huge (laughs) rivalry between FSU, but on this list for speech pathology, FSU is ranked higher than UF. Um, So that's interesting. And then UCF is lower down, um, not too much lower down, but lower down. Um, but it's, it's something to consider that it, it plays into this feud and uh, allowing colleges to charge more for, for different things. And I hear other universities talk about how they try to bring in more diverse groups and how do you rank students based off of things other than ACT scores or GPAs or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I think that when you can say that you're the number 35 or 45 or number three college, you can instantly write whoever you want into that spot for your program. Well, so something else that's interesting to consider, these are speech language pathology programs. True, true. Some, this is the ranking of those programs. When, if you look university or like Columbia is, is lower down. Um, and there's, there's very high ranked schools. There's Ivy league schools on this list that are ranked lower than some other schools. So I don't know what would be better for people. It's like, oh, I go to an Ivy league school or I go to FSU that has the highest speech 
pathology ranked program, you know? So there's a, a lot of factors. I hate lists. I, th- I think every time we bring up a list, I'm like, I hate this. <laughs> they're know? fun to look at, they're, but that's they're about fun. it. They're fun, but they also like, it's, it's not great information and it's, I don't know. I just don't like them. I think they, they contribute to misunderstanding and I don't know. <laughs> uh, I went to the 45th best school, 46th best school in the Midwest at Muskingum. Ooh, saying. there's another list for Let's you. Let's go Muskies. Um, I do, I do really think though that these lists as well as Ivy League and how, how we kind of hold on a pedestal certain schools mm-hmm. and places, um, I honestly think it's less about the degree and it's about the connections that people make when they yeah. attend those places. Does that make sense? Because yeah. you know, who you're networking with is who you're going to get a job with is who you're going to interview with. Um, and having that sort of name behind you. Um, and that's, I'm not just talking speech, but that's, this is my theory on it. I think it's more mm-hmm. about the connections that people make than it is about the degree, because in all reality, when we interview for a job, unless you True. somehow make a connection with somebody who maybe went to the same school, I've rarely even had them ask me, they don't ask my GPA. They don't ask anything. They want to nope. know if I am licensed in the state and if I have my ASHA C's. Yep. And then we get to maybe how long I've been in SLP and what settings have I worked in. Um, and that's me having applied for a lot of jobs. <laughs> so yep. moving around. On the flip side, on the audiology side, Vanderbilt, Iowa, University of Texas, Dallas, Northwestern University, UNC Chapel Hill, Washington University, University of Pittsburgh, Rush University Medical Center, Purdue University, West Lafayette, and then uh, Ohio State and University of Arizona, as well as University of Maryland and Minnesota, ranked the top 10 in audiology, while the worst ranked in audiology is Lamar University in Beaumont, Texas. Hmm. You know, though, you were saying the connections. I got, uh, I interviewed at a university in Ohio and I did not get chosen, but then somebody I knew from Ohio University sent that was at the university sent me a personalized uh, email kind of thanking me for applying. And, you know, basically was like a nice little pep talk, like a, that's good. Good job, tiger. Yeah. You might've struck out today, but tomorrow's a new baseball game. So that is, you know, I had a fellow um, Ohio university alum SLP, help me with resume stuff for a particular job. And I didn't even know her, but because of the military connection and she worked in DOD um, and we were both Ohio university alumni, um, somebody connected us and she, she helped me a lot with that. That's awesome. Let us know. Are you a Rachel and you hate lists? (laughs) Are you a Matt and you love reading through Buzzfeed lists? Cause you'll read the Buzzfeed articles on the top 10 sodas at Disney world. Email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. I am a sucker for lists. I love lists. You know who also love lists? Researchers. Santa. Santa does as well. And I have to say this. Anywho's, I was going to say something, but I can't twice. because of, of young listeners. But uh, people who love lists are researchers because they love data. I'm going back to my terrible transition. Uh, in the American Journal of the Speech-Language Pathology, uh, Natalie Douglas, Jacqueline Hick- Hinckley, Kate Grandeboy, Megan Schleep, w- Amy Wonka, and Jennifer Oshita, and Julie Fowerstein looked at the power differential between clinicians and researchers. 
and how it contributes to a research to practice gap. The research to practice gap means that there's research showing that what we are doing is wrong or incorrect or right, and we're not doing it or we're not doing it enough. And they tried to figure out why uh, they came away with researchers have a unknown power balance in their favor that makes them look like they are the all-knowing while we in the fields are just doing our jobs and we don't have time for research. I think it's interesting though when we look at this kind of stuff because it is kind of holding up a mirror of why are we unwilling to change what we are doing in the field when research says we should change? I think that's why the informed SLP Mm -hmm. is so important because it's making that research more accessible Mm -hmm. to people. Well, and also, and I think this is mentioned in there, um, researchers get, I mean, if you're working at a university teaching and doing research, part of your job is going to conferences, is speaking Mm -hmm. at conferences, is learning from other researchers and, and networking with that. They're putting out that information, right? And when you're working 40 plus hours a week somewhere with massive caseloads and workloads, right? Um, reading that research and implementing that research is not easily done. Here is and a cl- attending those conferences is not easy either. So where are you going to pick up this information? You have to be actively seeking it out. Here is a crazy fact, according to this article, or according to this write-up. It'll take 17 years to implement 14% of research in a routine clinical setting. Hmm. I had heard it was over 10 years, but yeah, wow, 17 years. Mm -hmm. Well, just take a look at this. Like, Michelle, you and I went to the same school, so it's easy I can say this. Rachel, let me know if you've heard the same thing. But like, when it comes to, to... uh, dysphagia stuff. The mm-hmm. the push for modified barium swallows was not a thing when we went through grad school. It was like, oh, if you can get one, do it. Michelle, you're giving me that face. I do not remember sitting in a class saying, do not treat, do not change diets without an MBS. Um, I, I would say- miss that day? No, I, I think you're right. It wasn't mm-hmm. the the visual was not as emphasized. I think exactly. they thought we could get more data from a bedside. Mm-hmm. But um, but also I felt like it was I, <laughs> grad school is such inch deep, mile wide yes. information yes. Yes. that we don't dive so deep into dysphagia. So I feel like I got more of my dysphagia training in my acute externship, my acute care externship where MBS was absolutely required for us to make changes. Um, but what the discrepancy that I see now a decade plus later is that um, the MBS we were taught was the gold standard was the only thing that you really needed to see, um, you know, to see aspiration that fees was not up to it. Right. Right. And, um, and there's been more and more research and information showing how important the information for fees is to make concrete decisions about, about diet. And so, um, and I wish we had Marie on here to talk more about that because she's doing fees right, as her True. as part of her practice now. But um, I, I I see that as a big change. And SLPs that I'm meeting who've graduated in the last five years, that has been emphasized, that getting imaging has been emphasized, not just MBS is the gold standard sort of thing, which is what I remember being taught. 
I don't remember any of my dysphagia classes, so. And that is why your school was ranked 55th. It's, no. true. <laughs> it's true. Well, you've also, you haven't had to utilize that in, yeah, the, you're prof- in... Like, in the professional sector. So um, we, we dive deep into what we are seeing every day. I, I, like I've mentioned on here before, my final externship was in acute care and I loved the medical setting. I loved doing Mm -hmm. the imaging stuff. And I had such a bad experience with my supervisor that forever prevented. Ever changed it. Yeah. I, I I don't feel comfortable in a health setting or like uh, a hospital setting because of how I was treated that, uh, that year. Hmm. I'm sorry. It's okay. But shout out to uh, Jacqueline Hinckley and Julie Feierstein uh, from UCF and Nova, some local Florida people. And UCF is my alma mater. So great job, guys. Well, and I think you see this battle bubble up, though, on the Facebook groups when you see somebody post something for like with evidence based because of Mm. the research. Oh, yeah. But then an SLP with 30 years of experience says, this isn't doable in a group session of four kids. And here's what works, even though the research doesn't show it. And I think that's where it gets questionable because you have to wonder, is it that they're doing something that is more evidence-based that they don't realize, but they're labeling it under something else? Or, you know, they still stick to, uh, what was it? Oral ex- oral motor exercises for articulation. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I remember I've dealt with that with supervisors. Yes, so. But I remember when we yeah. were going through even 10 years ago, it was like, hey, this has just been proven that this doesn't work. I know I did my whole research right? thing on it in grad school. For well, our, that's um... something that's something that keeps me up at night is that I think of the externship before the hospital one was at a private practice that my supervisors did like like chewy stuff and and the mm. those exercises. And I was like. I think they're, they've told us at grad school, we're not supposed to be doing this. And yet yeah. I'm being ranked on my ability to perform them because yes. that's what she believes. And that's what her, her job in this setting has shown works for her. So mm-hmm. I, I had a supervisor in one job and I've, you guys know, I've worked many at this mm-hmm. point who, <laughs> um, who said everyone needed oral motor. Everyone. Nope. Nice. Well, but everybody gets oral mother. <laughs> and if I pushed back on that, she was not thrilled. I do a little oral motor with our tick kids more just to get them to understand where their tongue and lips are, their articulators are. If but it it's not the purpose. Them... Right. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I want you to feel your tongue at the back of your teeth. Now, I might tell the kid that we're making your tongue do push ups to get stronger. But in reality, mm-hmm. I just want them to know where it is. But then you're pairing it with sounds. That's true. That's, that's true. That's what the research shows that I know at least. So how well tell you... me if I've missed some new research because it's hard to keep up with. How well do you use the research in our field or are you a researcher and you can't get it out into your into our field? Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. On the other side of the break, compassionate communication. I had an opportunity to sit down with Stephanie Michelle Swigert. She is also the host uh, on SpeechTherapyPD.com's YouTube channel. That's how I ran into her. Uh, She dives into compassionate communication and how we can use it in our everyday field. When we come back, we'll also be doing a What's Up, Asha? And uh, 
diving into a little bit of what we're doing after the break. You're listening to Speech Science. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Speech Science Podcast. I'm Matt Hot, joined by Stephanie Michelle Swigert. I said that yes, right, correct? you got it. I always worry because I say it off air and go, <laughs> I got it. And then as soon as the, the red light hits, I always worry. Uh, a speech language pathologist who founded Golden State Speech Pathology Services Incorporated, a woman owned and operated NPA since 2013. What is an NPA? NPA is a non-public agency. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Yes. We're, you also manage SLPs and SLPAs. You earned your undergraduate degree and master's from Bloomsburg University in Pennsylvania and presented at Pennsylvania Speech and Hearing Association. Stephanie Michelle has experience with working in hospitals, providing speech and swallowing assessments and therapy in the acute care setting, and has also provided early intervention therapy to students in their home, as well as in the public schools, charter schools, and non-public school students. She supervises SLP graduate clinicians during their CF as well as SLP assistants. Stephanie Michelle has supervised and under supervised undergraduate clinicians abroad in Belize. When did you do that? I know. I did that with the company Therapy Abroad. And Ooh. let's see. Yes, that was one year before the pandemic. So that must have been the oh. summer of 2019. That was then. Uh, you're also a certified mindful mindfulness med, uh, meditation teacher. Uh, you're a certified CE provider in California and have created the Golden State of Mind PD professional development that focuses on the clinician. You've also created the online digital course, the framework to becoming a mindful speech clinician. You're a public speaker and the host for SpeechTherapyPD.com's YouTube channel. Wonderful. I know. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> I bet. That's like, a new hat I'm wearing. <laughs> so that's why you're asking if you if this is going to be on camera before. I love it. You're also, yes. uh, ble you believe in the mission for the Center of Nonviolent Communication, uh, CNBC.org. We'll put that in the show notes and yes. a supporting member of the organization. We'll have some of your contact information in the show notes. Stephanie, Michelle, thank you for joining us. And what are we talking about today? Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, it's good to be back. Well, not be back. Be back with you because yes. for the listeners, we actually met last summer for the Back to School Conference. through. You was, were the moderator for a course that, that they had ago? where I was a speaker. It was July. Yeah, wow. July 2022. So good to see you again in, in a different you. way and to be able to have some conversation today with you instead of you just telling me my time is up and I got to go. Right. <laughs> That's right. Moderating for questions. Be like, hey, could you clarify slide 37 three? 
That was fun. So right? yes, nice to see you. And thanks Good for having you. me. And I thought it would be fun to kind of talk about compassionate communication strategies today. I'm not sure if you are familiar with those. I am not. So what is, I, I've, I've Googled it. I have your notes, but and I have my questions <laughs> to ask you. But in a nutshell, what is compassionate communication? Yeah. Well, you know what? Let me let me start this off by just telling you, um, speaking of, of giving talks, I just was with speechtherapypd.com again this past weekend on Sunday. I was a part of the free autism conference and I was talking about compassionate communication strategies and they wanted me to tie it into collaboration. So wouldn't you know, it was Sunday and this I was scheduled to present in the afternoon and I had so many things going on. You're a parent. You can appreciate this. Well, I had, there were two kid parties that my seven-year-old uh -huh. daughter had to be at one of those. So I was rushing to get her to one of those kid parties before I had to come back and I left her there with her dad. I had to come back to give this talk on compassionate communication. And I, I walked into this party and my daughter's seven. It was a bunch of five-year-olds and they're all running around crazy. And of course, my daughter just takes off and, and blends in, starts going crazy. She's like, where's the cake? Where's the fun? Where are the gifts? <laughs> um, but a parent came in beside me and I, I didn't know a lot of these um, people because the kids, the mom's a neighbor who was hosting the birthday party. She's a neighbor. It was her son's party. So it's their friends. And this, there's a mom that comes in next to me and she's got a son with her. And she's like, okay, honey, you know, we're here go ahead, join your friends. Well, this son, maybe around the same age, five or so, clings on to mom's leg and he doesn't want to move. He doesn't budge. She's like, come on, honey, what are you doing? And you know, she's like, what are you waiting for? Come on, mm -hmm. let's go. All right. You know what? Do you want to go home then? Because we can turn around and we can go home. You're being weird. Stop being weird. Go. And my natural reaction, which I feel like is most people's human, you know, we, we, we sense something, we get mm -hmm. triggered and we automatically react and we form judgments, right? So in my mind, I immediately thought, you're not being very nice. You're not a nice mom. Who are you? <laughs> you know, that's what's going on in my mom, my mind. Like, who are you? And I'm looking at this kid like, oh my gosh, poor kid. But compassionate communication strategies have actually taught me. And that, so that's my immediate reaction as a human being, right? Our, right. our, our we have that, you know, that um, reptilian brain that kind of goes into fight, flight, freeze. But through these practices with compassionate communication, and especially since I was about to go speak on this, I was really hearing what the mom was saying. And I, I paused with it and I tried to connect to unlayering this onion of, all right, what's going on under the words of what mom is saying to the kiddo? Mm -hmm. And and we're going to get into what compassionate communication strategies are, but I wanted to give you this little story because I, I sat there and I thought for a second, all right, you know what? Mom might be feeling frustrated. Mom might be feeling antsy. Mom might really have a need for her son to have fun. Mom might have a need for ease just to get her kid in there and go have some adult time. So maybe that's what's going on under these words that she's using. You know, maybe she's not intentionally trying to be what I'm kind of blaming her, or judging her to be. <laughs> and then I kind of stopped for a minute and I was like, well, what, you know, what could this kiddo be feeling right now? Maybe he's feeling shy or maybe he's feeling, you know, reserved or scared or nervous because maybe he has a need for ease to ease into the party mm -hmm. as well. Or maybe he has a need for like emotional safety. Who knows, right? But compassionate communication, I would not have thought about these things many, many years ago. But I came into somebody that I worked with, an occupational therapist at a school district in about 2011 that taught me about compassionate communication. And now I kind of look at everything differently. And it's it's being able to use our words to speak to others and hear others, hear others' words 
in a way that um, evoke compassion and empathy and peace and joy and hope and deep connection. And it enhances the, the relationship. It deepens the relationship. So compassionate communication is something that came about from Dr. Marshall Rosenberg. He was, mm-hmm. he's, he's currently deceased, but he was part of this um, international peacemaking organization. Then he started the Center for Nonviolent Communication. That's that website that you were talking about. That'll be in the show notes, cnvc.org. And he came up with this type of communication that's now used in 35 countries, literally across the globe, and and for the simple reason that the strategy that we'll kind of talk about today that I'm so passionate about, I love it. Like I, I look love at, it. I, I talk differently. I try. I'm always I'm a student. I'm always learning. Um, I talk differently. I listen differently. I feel like everybody should know this. Um, but it's used all across the world for the simple reason that it works. And it's it's a simple process in nature, but it, you know, it does take practice. It does take effort because we weren't. We weren't taught. I wish I was. Now that I know this stuff, I wish right. I was taught this style of communication growing up. But we weren't. We weren't taught to speak in the process that I'll share with you. We were kind of taught what Marshall calls life alienating communication, and mm-hmm. we were taught to blame and criticize and compare and label uh... and judge. And even if we're not intentionally doing it this can come out in our communication. Like, like mom, when she said to her son, you're being weird. Mom loves her son. I mean, that's like her pride and joy. I'm sure. Right. As a parent, she cares him very deeply, but when she uses the words, you're being weird, you know, she's, she's judging him and her intention might be, I want you to have fun. I want you to get out there. Come on. But now she's using threatening language. Do do you want to go home? We'll go home. Mom doesn't really want to go home. The boy doesn't want to go home, but we weren't taught ways to express ourselves to bring it back to what's going on with us. This like I statement of how we're feeling and what we're needing in our communication to meet our needs. When when you, I'm sorry, when you said that, like when you started talking about how listening and before speaking or whatever, I was brought back to an old interviewing class I took in my undergrad where they talked about the key to being a good interviewer or, or, or communication partner was learning to listen instead of just waiting for your moment to say whatever it is that you were trying to say. Is that kind of that same idea or does it go a little bit deeper than that? Or Well, I love that because I mean, that shows good listening because we're not fully present if we are listening, just worried about what we're going to say next mm-hmm. or how we're going to hop in. And this shows up a lot, like in the speech industry, you work in, you're yes. a school, school-based, right? Yes. School so you go and into home with geriatrics. <laughs> At, okay. Oh, mixed settings. Very yes, good. So no, absolutely. It's we we I love that about our field. We can be in right. many different settings and learn so many and it's also different, right? From right. setting to setting. So we we know a lot about something or a little bit about everything. But I am um, the little about everything guy. That's, that's even <laughs> I, I'm a little terrible. about everything. <laughs> I love that. So I think what I'm hearing you say is yes. So well, that's being mindful of listening, right? Mm-hmm. So good listening is just really being present and aware of what the communication partner is saying. So we're not we're getting out of thinking ahead on what we're going to say or, you know, what we're going to bring in in reaction to what we're hearing. But yes, taking that a step further, when we are showing that mindfulness and that, you know, present moment awareness and deep listening, we are peeling, think of an onion. And I love this as the analogy, just think about peeling back the layers to go behind the words, drop behind the words that you're hearing. Because 
When people communicate, oftentimes if they're going to use what he calls life alienating communication, and this happens when we go into IP meetings or we're talking with parents, if we feel blamed or we feel criticized or we feel judged, what do you do? Defensive. Okay. So you might go into defense, right? That's that fight, flight, freeze. Mm -hmm. So you're getting defensive. Other people might check out completely. You know, they might take the flight. Other people might freeze and not know what to do. Some people talk back. It's like, you hurt me. I'm going to hurt you. Right. Right. Um, So when we listen just at the words, if we hear something we don't like, it can trigger us and we're human beings. Mm -hmm. And when we feel threatened or we feel fear, what happens? We separate we disconnect and we're not we're not forming collaboration we're we're not forming connection which is needed in our field in these types of meetings so going back to what we're talking about unlayer that onion drop below the words that you're hearing and try to connect marshall tells us and we'll we'll talk about this process but he tells you to connect to the feelings and the needs of the individual speaking So maybe it's a good time for me to share then what those four steps are. But does that make sense for you? So when you're listening, you're going beyond the message and you're connecting on a deeper level, what might this person be feeling right now? What might they be needing? And maybe what would they like to ask me? So when we look at Marshall Rosenberg's process, he's got a he's got a four step path, and I love this. I cemented this in my brain when I I and I learn more about each step as I go on in life. But the simplest thing I can tell you, and for everybody listening, memorize this: is <laughs> the first one is observation, the second one is feelings, the third step is needs. And the fourth step is requests. And he's saying, if you just remember that observation, feeling, need, request, observation, feeling, needs, request. I can memorize that, right? I can memorize that. And so he tells us to look at reframing our language by looking at all of these components so that we can kind of move away from putting people in a place of defensiveness and that they're opening up their ears to really hearing us and listening to us and quite possibly wanting to meet our needs. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and they not, we might not always get our needs met. And that's, you know, that's for a whole nother episode, how we, <laughs> handle, how we handle, how we handle those things. But, but what happens is when, when we're divided and we're using that life alienated communication, we're not, we're not working together for that common goal. And we're not, we're not seeing that, you know, in humanity, we all have value. We all right. have goodness. We all have something that we can bring to the table. So we need to remove the focus when we're speaking or when we're listening, remove the focus from being concentrated on other people. And we need to bring the focus back to ourselves. So focusing on I statements and looking at how we're feeling and what we're needing, and then being able to ask those requests. So So is this for for both interpreting interpreting I can't say that word today interpreting like what others are saying or is it for both or is it also for us when we're when we're talking to a parent about changing those IEP minutes or you know I was thinking about this today or when you were talking about observe observation feelings needs and requests you got it right I was I (laughs) have a cheat sheet I'm not gonna lie I have the cheat sheet (laughs) I had to find the cheat sheet that's why I was scrolling uh we were talking about a uh, a student that uses an AAC device and they keep asking the student, why are you in red? Why are you doing this? And they're going, and they came to me and said, the student doesn't know how to answer why questions. And I was like, well, that's because you're asking them what questions you're asking the student, 
what caused you to be upset. Is it more for interpreting? Is it for us using? Is it for everything? Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, you're right. It's a good question. And I, I, I can... I can answer that. So it's for listening and speaking. I feel like such a speech therapist when I say it's for listening and speaking, right? Because I feel like I'm going back to my my core, my core standard, the common have, core standard. We listening have ten thousand dollar words and, of, <laughs> and every word we use is we misspell language and we say speaking and listening. I am with you on Yes. <laughs> okay. So so it'll be easy to remember then it's for listening and speaking, right? Um falls in line with our field. So let's talk about speaking for a minute. Let's look at that because once I kind of explained to you how we look at speaking, we're going to flip that for listening. Mm-hmm. So let's look at his pathway, for example, and we'll, I'll, we'll, we'll do some role play. We'll talk about what you've Ooh, experienced fun. in your school today. Yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you to the test. Um, so let's look at observation. When when Marshall Rosenberg is talking about observation, it's very interesting. We're, we're speech clinicians. We, we know mm-hmm. what it means to observe, right? Right. But he takes it a step further and he says, you know, and we might do this as speech clinicians. I'm not sure, you know, how clear people are in their observations. But what we're doing is in compassionate communication is we are extracting our opinions and our evaluations out of the observation. So when we're bringing this mindfulness, this um, present moment awareness to what am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I feeling or touching? We are pulling out the evaluation. And there's um, an Indian philosopher. His name is um, Jay Krishnamurti. I'm sorry if I'm saying that incorrectly, but he has a quote and he says that um, be, uh, being able to observe without our evaluation is actually the highest form of intelligence or human intelligence oh. or something like that, right? So right. it's looking at something without putting our opinions in it. So that's the observation piece. So if you want to do some role play examples, sure. I, I can show you what I can talk to you about what that might look like. So okay. why don't I give you some sentences and we'll keep it kind of, you know, speechy here for all of our listeners on your podcast. And I want you to tell me if you think that this would be an observation or if this would be an evaluation because I've mixed in my opinions or an evaluation. Okay. Okay, are you ready for the game show? Try it. <laughs> there might be a prize at the end. Ooh, fun. <laughs> yeah, I have to think about what that prize is. <laughs> okay, so if I if I said to you, if I'm collaborating with you from speech person to speech person, mm-hmm. and I said, this student is doing so well. Isn't that evaluation? Because it's like the opinion well? Ding, 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 ding. Okay. Good, very good. So if I was just going to reframe that, I could say the student scored in the 92nd percentile for core language. Right. Like that would be a way of turning it into an observation. This yeah. is their this is their score. OK, good. Let's go to another one. If I said, Matt, you procrastinated on your part of the report. I feel like that's an evaluation, but I feel <laughs> like that's also an observation into my life. You can't have two answers. I will go with evaluation, <laughs> but I feel like it might be wrong. Wait, you're saying you think I know you? Are you are you a procrastinator in life? Very, I'm, a, I'm a type B personality procrastinator but yeah i feel like that would be we would not work well together (laughs) i feel like that's evaluation okay ding 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 you are right so if i'm working with you and i know now matt that you are a procrastinator and i'm upset about it here's how i'm going to word it with you i'm going to be like hey matt you gave me your portion of the report the night before it was due that's fair Okay, so I turned it into an observation for you. All right, let's try this one. Um, Your IEP goal suggestions don't seem very appropriate for the student. Oh, yeah, that's for sure, Eval. Okay. Can you flip it? Can you make that an observation? 
Uh, I would say you're writing a goal for articulation when they are demonstrating comprehension difficulties. Okay, I like that. You're writing a goal in articulation, and I need a goal in language comprehension. Yeah. Yes. Is this almost going into? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Is this almost going into? I guess that would make sense. Observing would be uh, like objective data versus subjective data. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's the first step, and you'd be surprised how many people. I mean, think about your parenting. Think about you know. Then think about this now. (laughs) I I don't mean I'm not putting you. No, no, no. I I say it all the time. Yes. Think about your parenting, maybe like today or tonight when we're done talking. I know you're on the East Coast tonight. And and if you make a statement to your child, stop and think, wow, did I, was that just sort of my opinion or was that an observation? It's interesting to see how quickly we can kind of throw our ideas into the mix. So that's that's the observation piece. That's step one. There are four steps. So this this leads you to step number two. And step number two is feelings. Okay. And it's like, (laughs) some people don't like to talk about their feelings. I get that. You know, are you a feelings guy? Not a feelings guy? Depends on the situation. Like at work, I'm very big on accepting the feelings that I bring into a therapy session, but yeah. Okay. So So we're, we're going to, we're going to talk about, and, and, you know, we have to be vulnerable when we're sharing Mm -hmm. our feelings, but Marshall Rosenberg, he shares that, he thinks feelings are so important because he calls them universal feelings. And he says that basically like you and I, Matt, and all the listeners that are on and everybody in this world, we're all interconnected on the level of feelings. We can relate. Like you've been sad. Hey, I've been sad. I I know what that feels like. Or you've been angry. Yeah, I've been angry. I get it. I can empathize with you in this situation. So that's something that connects us. But an interesting point is, and I I, I'm going to call you out on this is that, um, and I'm because I, I have that listening ear now, now that I've learned yeah. the style of communication. But um, you said to me, I feel like that's the story of my life when we were just talking about the procrastination. Yeah. I think that's what you said. Yeah. Okay. So what you just said is actually not a feeling. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the story of my life. That's the story of my life. Part of that sentence is actually not a feeling. And it's not something I can relate to as a communication partner, mm-hmm. right? But but what is the story of your life? What does procrastination feel like for you? Uh, my wife, we're actually just talking about this last night. <laughs> we're going back to all the way through high school. I had to be involved in theater and sports and hold down a job just to get homework done. Because if I didn't have all of that stress, I didn't have any urge to complete work. I am trying to make it very, I'm trying not to add in subjective evalu- or, uh, evaluation data. There we go. Okay. Okay. I like that. So yeah, I'm trying to be a better so I'm, right I'm trying to understand you did does procrastination fuel you energize you it does it does okay so you feel energized by yes. procrastination i've never thought of it like that but yeah yeah if uh the procrastination the more stress the bigger the the closer the deadline the the more focused i am and the better work i have okay so if we were to tie that back to the procrastination i don't sentence. know if i like where this conversation is going today <laughs> It's a whole new way of of looking at our language. I'll tell you it. why it's so important, though. Yeah. But okay, so let's tie this back to the sentence that we gave about procrastinating. And I said, you know, hey Matt, um, you when I see, so you, I could I could turn this around as a speaker because we're talking about speakers yeah, yeah. now. So I could say, 
you know, when I give the report to you the night before it's due, I feel energized, <laughs> right? Because somebody else might think, hey, when I give the report to you the night before it's due, I feel worried because I don't right. know how you're going to react, right? But right. there we have a very clear feeling. And so Marshall Rosenberg, he's got, um, I actually have, uh, I'll tell you in my resources in the end, I have some nice word banks of feeling words because it's really interesting. He gets very, he nails down and some listeners might not like this and I didn't like it when I first learned it. But there's some words that, so we want to take opinions out. I feel like that's a story of my life. And we want to put in, I feel energized, right? right? So we want to be very clear about our feelings. But we also don't want to put in words like, I feel abandoned, for example. Ooh. Because when we use words like abandoned, what that sort of implies something that was done to me, right? I'm a victim, if we use that word abandoned. So he, again, when we're talking about compassionate communication, it's really interesting. And there's ways we can reframe all of that. That's mm -hmm. for another episode. But we want to bring it back to ourselves. We want to keep things about ourselves. Because again, we're using compassionate communication strategies to connect to others, to deepen relationships, to be heard, to quite possibly resolve conflict, to have peace. It's used for a lot of peaceful negotiations in politics and big businesses. So we don't, again, if I say, if I said to you, hey, Matt, you know, when you do X, I feel abandoned. Right. How are you going to feel if I use that word? So is it better than when you're looking at the feelings to go into something that's a little bit more precise and less vague and, and maybe even more universal? So I'm like thinking of, uh, shoot, um, when the bus is running late, I'm scared I'm going to be late for work. Yes. When Versus the bus saying like when the bus is running late, I have, uh, I'm trying to be like, I don't even know what a non-precise word of that would be, but it would be like, oh, I'm worried about becoming late or I'm worried about clocking in late. I feel, yes. Okay. Is that, okay. So if I wanted to change the first part of sentence when the bus is running late and I wanted to make that free of evaluation, which you don't have to, yeah. because that's like, I mean, but that might offend the bus driver, right? Yeah, so fair. we're looking at how to communicate with others. So when the bus arrives 10 minutes after its scheduled time for pickup, I feel worried. Because okay. I have, and then it lends into the next part, which is oh. the need. So, so again, universal feelings. We have we have positive feelings when our needs are met. Like I feel mm -hmm. good, I feel excited, I feel happy, I feel energized. And then we have feelings for when our needs are not met. I feel angry, I feel upset, I feel discouraged, I feel hopeless. Right? Where those words don't put the listener on the defense, like abandoned or, um, Oh, I see what you're saying. I feel isolated. Right. Yeah. Cause that makes it sound like you had a role. I'm a victim now. And that might put you on a defense, but again, you can find this stuff on cnvc.org. I'm yeah. going to tell you at the end of where you can find word banks to reframe your language, but it's super interesting. And so, okay. So that's the feelings perspective. We're really getting good with this. And that lends us into, um, Okay, so you kind of got it, right? The feelings versus right. putting in an opinion. So now that lends us into, now if you tell me those statements, if I hear your feeling, I can start to connect your feeling to a met or unmet need. So that's number three, oh. observation, feeling, needs. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important that needs comes next. And Dr. Marshall Rosenberg says, you know, all of our feelings come from met or unmet needs. A lot, it, it drives how we are feeling. So if you can connect, if you notice that somebody is feeling maybe angry, maybe you can start to surmise or, you know, be intuitive like, oh, they're frustrated. Maybe they're having a need for more support or they're angry. Maybe they're having a need for compliance or they're, you know, so we can start to figure out 
what that need is. So he says, we've got these universal needs. So again, when we're looking at needs, we're being really specific. And the needs are interesting because he breaks them down into um, commute, like, um, what do you call it, like categories on his chart. But like anything else, it could be for, um, it could be a need for nurturing under like, I think nurturing, it's like for food, water, air, things we breathe. For um, community, it's like emotional safety, acceptance. We have a need for connection. You know, so he names all these different needs, support, um, all these different needs that we have that are universal. And again, the keyword's universal because I want to be able to show up for you and have empathy if you're telling me a need that I understand and can relate to and vice versa. If I'm sharing a need with you, I don't want to share some crazy need where you're like, I've never had that need. I don't know what it feels like to have that need. And now we're not really connecting. So that's where that whole universal needs um, come into play. So that would be the third step. Do you want to play a little game with that? <laughs> I, I do. But before you go there, I was that immediately made me think of some of the EA training we've been trying to do lately. What's EA? Uh, educational assistance. I'm sorry. That's what we call them in our district. Mm. Uh, I've heard them called um, like uh, academic supporters or, or something similar in other districts. But okay. we've been doing some EA training where we're talking to the, to the aides and saying, hey, when you're telling the student you know, to get your stuff and we got to go quick, you need to start saying like, hey, we need to get to class on time. We need to get our, we need to pack our bag. You know, it's almost, that made me think of that immediately yes. where it was like, instead of these veiled threats of like, we're going to be late. Well, like the kid doesn't care. None of the kids ever want to be on time <laughs> the, to class. I was in a middle care. school and high school. Like, <laughs> no kid cares about getting to class on time. They only do it just to not get in trouble. But it's that, like, hey, we need to get to class on the sky. Like, it's just changing that framework versus that that vague. Yes, threat. repeat that again. So repeat what you heard. You you said it. This was in the EA training. So repeat it. Uh, a couple examples of what you heard that were sort of talking around the yeah. need. Yeah. So it was like. Um, now under the microscope, I can't do it, but it was, well, you uh, can, yeah, yeah summer, it was like, I mean, um, like telling the students that like, if you're late, you're going to get written up. Uh, we okay. Need... Let's stop there. Yes. If you're late, you're going to get written up. That sounds like threatening language, right? Right, right, right. So it's like, if you're late, you're going to get written up. So here we are, we're using this life alienating communication yes. to try to get our needs met. So let's stop right there and let's think, okay. So how do you think the teacher's feeling when the teacher is saying, you know, if you're late, you're going to be written up. What do you think the feeling is in that moment for the teacher? Oh, I think the teacher, the, the, the aide is very, feels very powerless the because they're trying to get this kid to do something that they, their job is to get the student to class on time. Mm -hmm. And I think that they feel that they're powerless. I think that they feel that they're going to be judged as inadequate if they can't, you know, get the student to class. Okay, so they might be okay. So they might be feeling powerless. They mm -hmm. might be feeling frustrated. I like frustrated. Um, so we've got now this feeling, and so if we unlayer that onion, mm -hmm. right? When I hear when I hear an aide say, "If you don't get to class on time, you're going to be late," I would say, "Are you feeling frustrated because you have a need for?" And what do you think the teacher's need is, or the aide's need is in that moment? Oh, just to get like the need to get them to class. Is that? Is okay, so so the 
well, it, to do their there's job. There's no wrong. There's no wrong answer because unless we're asking the person, so we can kind of right. like throw <laughs> some true. out. So she might have a need for order. She might have a need for oh, compliance. I see what you're she might have yeah. a need for respect that you know that um, the kids are respecting her as an authority figure. We don't know, but I was just you know we can just shout some out. For example, I feel like we use a lot of threatening language. The more I more I dive into this. And that is what, and I'm telling you, when you start to learn this process, you hear everything differently. Good. You hear everything differently and you start to catch yourself. It is good because we need to, we need to sort of wake up to mm-hmm. what we're doing and how we're educating these kids and how we're working with our clients and how we're working with advocates in stressful IEP meetings. And we need to understand what's going on under the words so that, you know, let's not have a part two, part three of these four hour IEPs. Let's connect to the feelings and needs. But your story right now just kind of brought me back to your original yeah. question in this podcast. You said, well, is this just if we're speaking? Is this when we're listening? So here is an example. When we are listening to that um, paraprofessional or the educator that you're talking about and we're hearing that, this is where we might show up to them and say, um, so a student could show up and say this if they knew these strategies. If you're in the room, you could show up and say this. You could go up to the person and say, hey, you know, when I hear you say um, – if you if you don't if you don't show up on time, you know I'm gonna write you up. That makes me think you're feeling frustrated. Are you feeling frustrated? And they can either say yeah, yes or no. Like you're starting to connect to them. Okay, are, do you have a need right now for support? No, I don't have a need for support. I have a need for or yes, I have a need for support. Wow, you're really getting me right. So we're now listening to those words and we're saying. Okay, these are the three important questions I can ask. What do I think they're feeling? So again, it's like it's reframing our listening. So it's, you know, going up to that educator and saying, hey, when I hear you say X, and we're repeating it exactly back the way they said it. So it's that observation. Um, Are you feeling? Are you needing? How can I support you? right? How can I support you in this moment? And when we're doing that, that's what he's, Marshall's talking about. We are connecting on a deeper level. We're going below the words to connect to the person so that they're listening to us, they're open to receiving us, that we can relate. And it's going to strengthen our collaboration. We're going to be able to connect to the needs immediately. Okay, let me figure out how I can help. And then that's going to lend you into the fourth step of the process. But do, do you feel do you feel good on needs, like kind of guessing, um, like if, if I said to you, here's the little game show question. If I said to you, you know, I hear this a lot, ah, the district, they're just so unsupportive. This is awful. They're not hearing me. I need all the support and I'm not getting any of this support. And I just, I can't stand the way this is going and I'm ready to quit. It's a lot of words to say what. I didn't hear any needs. I just heard a bunch of like, like possible needs. Like, is it, is it, lower caseload? Is it more money? Is it break time? Is it better software? Is yes. it a desktop that runs not Google Chromebooks? Like, Yes. It could be any of those, right? right? So you're hearing that I'm feeling a certain way. How do you think I'm feeling when I'm complaining uh, frust- about and judging them as they're being cheap and they're not fed up? I'm, yeah. Frustrated, fed up, angry. Um, and then the need is, right, I need something. So whether that's, you're right, materials or support or an SLPA to support with my caseload management or my workload management, right? So it's going, it's dropping again beneath the criticism. Beneath, and same if someone comes to you. When someone, and this is really hard for us, if someone comes to you and, and says, Matt, um, you know, you're X, Y, and Z, and they, you know, you're, you're not really being supportive. You're not being helpful. Like I really needed you in this moment. Where were you? You weren't there. And someone uses a lot of you language. 
Mm -hmm. and blaming you, right? This happens a lot in dynamics of any kind of relationship. Um, you know, what's going to happen? You're going to close off. You're right. going to get defensive. So again, now that you've had this little talk with me, you can start to think about I, I, my natural response, which is 100% normal, is to go fight, flight, freeze. I get that. But now that I've talked to Stephanie, I can pause and I can try to think about what's my communication partner feeling right now and what could they be needing? That's that's two and three of the one, two, three. I feel like that's a huge part of IEP meetings where a lot of times parents are lashing, or I shouldn't say lashing out, but the parents are, are yelling or arguing or fighting. And sometimes it's not even about the proposed goal. It feels almost like it's a buildup of the frustration of the whole school year because they're not being told when homework is due or they're not being told simple progress or they're not trained on a device. That almost feels kind of that same. Is that in the kind yeah, of that so same when thing? you just when you just said they feel like they're not being told when the homework is due. So maybe they have a need for communication mm -hmm. more often. If they're not told how a device worked, you know, they're having need for education to enhance the quality of their right. their child's life to support them with this device. So underneath all of that is a need. And it, I was in a I was in a um a conference once and somebody it was kind of a cool analogy. I don't I don't know if I'll explain it the same, but I remember I drew a picture on my notebook and it yeah. was an I it was this big glacier like coming out of the ocean and then the ocean water and then below the ocean water was like this iceberg that kept going the part that you couldn't see. And they ex the instructor explained it that what you're seeing out here on on top of the ocean this big chunk of ice, that's the you know, the anger, the frustration, the words that we don't mean, the blaming, the judging. But what you don't see is underneath the surface are all of these feelings that I'm having, all of these unmet needs that are causing me to have the behaviors that are above that you're seeing up here. So can you we just, get down there? <laughs> you just made me think of something. So my daughter was born deaf. She's got a cochlear on her right side and a hearing aid on her left side. And I got into an argument, God love our, our help me grow person uh, who, who works with us, because when we first started working with it or working with her, uh, she kept trying to give us a developmental specialist instead of a hearing specialist. And I was like, I don't want a developmental specialist. I know how children develop. I work in special education. I know what can go wrong. I need a hearing specialist. And I think if I look at my feelings, I think it was the fear of if we don't have the right setup. I'm going to be the one that if I don't fight for my daughter, I'm going to be the one that cause her to go behind. Like, ah, I don't like how that made me feel. And like right now, thinking about how I treated her based on my well, fear don't, or, or feeling. Yes. Don't judge yourself, though. No. Because listen, we, I'm I mean, it, but <laughs> yeah, you're, you're like, oh, that made me feel bad. Oh, no, I'm good. I'm good again. I, I felt <laughs> bad for a moment. Now it's over. That was 18 months but, ago. We're good now. But yes, but, but for people who are listening too, who might be thinking yeah. what you're just thinking, oh, when I revisit that, but that's how it is, right? I've, I can't tell you how many friends I did, I haven't made through the years <laughs> at school districts. I, I kid you not, where I was just not liked because, you know, things went south in a meeting or whatever. And I was very blamey and I thought, oh, I'm going to go advocate and I'm going to go do yeah. what I need to do. And I'd pop this email out and say what I needed to say. But then later when I would reread those emails, I was like, open mouth, insert foot, uh -huh. Stephanie, right? Sometimes we, but I, but I, I was coming from a place like you are in your story. You're coming from a place of wanting to advocate, wanting to be passionate about wanting to, to help your child or to help something, right? We're right. all here to do that. But maybe how we're showing up um, isn't a way that others might receive 
to get us what we're needing. Yeah. Like maybe if we come with too strong of a tone or maybe we use you language, maybe that person that was talking to you right. might be backing off and not as willing to support you or help you. Uh, so it's a matter of, you know, and as people are learning this, and we'll talk about the fourth step too real quickly, but as people yeah. are learning this, just think about like moving forward. I always say start with your emails because once it's out of your mouth, it's mm. out of your mouth, right? But start with your emails. And when you go to write an email, I, I often write emails out of reactivity, not reactivity in the yeah. bad way, but I'm I'm quick to try to multitask, which right. we do as SLPs. And so I'm multitasking. I'm quickly trying to answer that or I say that. And then later I think, oh, I should have had more of a social greeting in the beginning. That looks kind of cold or I, mm. I should have ended more more warmly or, you know, or I wasn't very clear. on. I would say now, like, take a pause and just kind of sit back, keep it in draft mode or don't hit send right away and then go back and just revisit it with the framework. Make sure I'm using eye language. Make sure if I'm, you know, trying to connect to others that I'm keeping it about myself and what's going on with me and what I'm needing. If we're setting boundaries, if we're advocating, that would be a good place to your text messages before you hit send, you know, you're you're like, oh no, no, I'm going to tell you, you know, kind of (laughs) Write it out. That's fine. But go back and look at it before you send it. Um, The fourth step is request. And this one's really important because this shows up so much in our field, right? When we're advocating for our students, we're advocating for ourselves. We need to ask for things, right? We need to get those unmet needs met. And that's everybody's goal when we're collaborating, right? We need to meet the needs, meet the needs of the student, meet the needs of the parent, the team members. And how do we do that? We have to be able to request. But Marshall Rosenberg, he tells us that requesting is really meant to enrich life. Like we are not making a request of somebody that's going to make things not positive or not a good experience. Oh, So it's it's a it's a request to enrich life to keep to keep life healthy and positive and well and and moving forward. So one of the things that I kind of learned and you know I w- I was guilty of doing this too is I had to learn the difference and I, with my students at the school I had to learn the difference between a request and a demand. And I think this is showing up a lot in, you know, a lot of this uh, um, neurodiversity affirming shift that we're that we're seeing. But because they talk a lot about um, it's not about compliance, it's about relationship building. And we know that as speech therapists. Right. So that's that request versus the demand. So if I ask you to do something, I can make a request. Would you be willing to? So let's go back to just to keep it kind Ah. of in sync. Hey, when I see that you give me your report. The night before it's due, um, I feel stressed because I, I have a need for um, order with what I've got going on. Would you be willing to give me your report four days before it's due next time? So right. there's my request. It's actionable. It's clear. Um, it's positive, right? And but you have a right to say no. no. <laughs> and what do our kids often say when we ask them to no. do things? <laughs> All right. There's where the fine line is. If, yeah. if someone said, if you looked at me and I said, hey, Matt, will you give me, because guess what? Procrastination energizes you. Right. So I've got my needs, but you've got your needs, right? Mm-hmm. So how to, because the best conversations are a win-win. And I always tell people, like, I need to win, you need to win, the district needs to win. We all need to be winning here on some level or, like, we don't want to walk away feeling bad or people still having unmet needs because that's that's not a positive experience. So I'm like, Matt's got his needs. I've got, I've got my needs. So we request. And if you say no, 
where someone says no, if there's consequences to that no, well, Matt's not going to give me his report. I'm not going to talk to him anymore. I'm not, I can't work with this guy. I can't, <laughs> I, can I get a different you know, right, right, person right. on the multidisciplinary team? So if there's a consequence to me asking, or I treat you differently, or now I talk to you differently, or I give you the cold shoulder, that was a demand. That was not a request. Oh. So a request allows the opportunity for someone else to say no. And if they do, you find a way to meet everybody's needs. So I, there so is- So are all requests, like are all requests consequence free? In Marshall Rosenberg's world, yeah. yes, okay. absolutely. Like he has this whole thing just on parenting because mm-hmm. he doesn't believe in punishment and he believes in taking a, a compassionate approach to parenting. And we, and that's where we look at this because I am that way until my kids yell at me. And then it's like, <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> Oh yeah. Listen, we're all one percent better each day. That's what, uh, trust me. My 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 daughter's There's dad no always says to me, "Why are you something. talking to me that way? I thought you're like big on this guy." And I'm like, "I make mistakes. I'm glad right. you pointed that. I'll reframe that next time <laughs> because so, it happens. <laughs> you know, so demands aren't bad, correct? So are demands are. I'm not going to say that they're good or bad, but here's what happens with a demand. A yeah. demand, we're looking at, we. this whole point of this conversation is looking at communication that is going to create connections and not ah, separation. Okay. I see what you're saying. So if I'm putting a demand, guess what? I'm creating division and separation. And guess what? We have so much division and so much separation in our world from like, you know, politics, religion, yeah. the great racial divide, like we have socioeconomic stats. We have so many divisions, you know, already in this world and ones I'm not even naming. That our language, our language is creating this separation and this division. And why? Because it's this fear, right? Peeling back. It's this fear or feeling threatened or whatever the reason is that people feel that we have different, we're members of different groups and you're not in my group. But if we are really looking to be inclusive, compassionate communication is an inclusive language. It includes everybody. It values everybody. So a demand is not going to bring about connections and positive relationships, right? Right. It's going to bring about resentment. It's going to bring about defensiveness. And, uh, you know, the perfect example was, so, um, okay, so just real quickly picture a kiddo playing with Play-Doh on the floor and pieces of Play-Doh going into the carpet. Me, OCD, that freaks me out. That's noise in my ears. I'm like, ah, no, this can't happen. So I could approach kid and say, oh my gosh, what a mess. No, 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 no. This is making a mess. Clean this up. Clean this up. Come on. Come over here. Bring it to the table. Like this is dirty. We're getting the carpet all dirty or you're doing whatever. Okay. That might be right. normal reactions for a lot of parents. It's not my intention to hurt kid. It's right. my intention though to have a clean carpet. That's just my need. Right. And because that needs not happening, I'm feeling worried or frustrated. So if I reframe that, I go over to kid and I say, Hey, when I see little pieces of Play-Doh, you know, in the carpet, oh, I feel upset because I really have a need for cleanliness in my speech room. Would you bring your Play-Doh to the table? Okay, so now I've done the four steps, right? I've, I've mm-hmm. observed it. I have my feeling. I have my need. I make a simple request that's clear and actionable. And guess what? Kid says, no. Right. So I don't want to make it a demand. Get over to this table now or you're not getting your speech sticker today or I'm going to call your mommy if you don't listen. You know, I'm not doing that. I'm going to say this is a request to enrich lives, make life better. Person saying no. 
Now what do I do? I connect because I want to build connections. I'm not worried about compliance. I want to build relationships. So I'm going to go up to kid. I'm going to say, Hey, like, how are you feeling? Like, what's going on? Like, what are you needing right now? And maybe I unlayer that the kid working at the table felt uncomfortable. Maybe the table's too high. Maybe the chair's uncomfortable. Maybe they were being elbowed by somebody and they have a need for more space, right? So it's a sensory thing. So now I know you're feeling worried about being at the table because you have a need for space. I'm feeling worried about you being on the floor because I have a need for cleanliness. How can we make this a win-win? Okay, kiddo, how about this? I'll go get a plastic tray, stay on the floor. We'll put the tray under the Play-Doh. Both of our needs are met. So I didn't force a demand. I connected with the kid instead to figure out what they're feeling and needing. What's below that iceberg, below that surface in that ocean? How can I connect to that so everybody wins? I get my cleanliness. You get the space that you need to be creative. And we're moving forward. And guess what? We like each other. We still like each other after this conversation has happened. I feel like this. a lot of what I do with my pragmatic kids is I, I tell them communication is power. And it's either you're taking power or you're giving power away. And it's either voluntarily or involuntarily. This almost feels like retraining our mind to voluntarily give up. I don't want to say give up power, but it's that give Could up. Could you say share? Share Instead power? of giving or taking? Could we yeah. share? Because it, it, it feels like, oh, I'm the adult. And I should tell you that, kiddo, we're not working on the floor because I'm too old or I don't want to like. Listen, I've got 37-year-old knees in a back. I don't want to go on the ground. Thirty-seven's <laughs> young. Come on. That, that's why I work with middle school kids. We're not crawling. I got on the seven years on you. Oh no. <laughs> it almost feels like yeah. it's that idea of of either I like that sharing power idea because it, it takes a whole lot to say I'm not right in this situation or my needs are not more important. Is that kind of that same idea? Oh my gosh. I love that. My needs are not more important. So what in you just saying that my needs are not more important, what you're saying is I value you. I va- yeah. I respect oh, you also. Okay. Yes. Your needs are just as important as mine. I am not prioritizing mine. I'm not saying, I'm not going to say, well, I'm the teacher and you're the student. You do what I say. And that's kind of what Marshall talks about in that parenting role too. I yeah. mean, we have to, we have to be an authority figure when it comes to safety and things of right. that nature. You are not writing in the street. That is it. Like- <laughs> yeah, it's like, yes, I am. Okay, let's see how we can meet in the middle. Smack. No, right, right. that's not what we're doing. Um, but yes, if we can find a win-win, isn't that going to build those relationships with those kiddos that we're working with, with those parents in the IEP meetings, with those advocates that are coming on strong? Mm-hmm. If we can connect to what people are needing and feeling more quickly, we can get to the root of what's going on. We can resolve conflict and we can build relationships and we can collaborate more effectively and be more productive and have better outcomes, right? If we can start to take this process and, and put it into the work that we do. So that is, yeah. So that has changed my life. It has changed my relationships with people. The, you know, when I was a CF and I, I came into, the world of speech pathology, thinking I, I knew it all, which maybe I knew a lot because it's all fresh from the text and the practice right. and the externships. But, you know, I wasn't open-minded and um, I had my agenda and I put my agenda on others and I had those demands and I wasn't as flexible to really open up and see other people's needs or what they're need. I was like, no, you're OT, I'm speech. I know what's best here, you know, and, and my intention was not a bad intention. Um, I just... 
I just wasn't awake to this, this idea, this style of communication that, oh my gosh, I can meet my needs and I can make more things happen if I connect in a different way, if I use different words. And you know what? I can connect to you more if I hear you different, differently and I don't take offense to what you're saying and I realize it's not personal and I drop below your words when you're speaking like that educator. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, she's threatening me. Oh, you're going to threaten me now. Guess what? If a high schooler's threatened, do you think you're going to, they're going to want to follow through? No, it's going to be just the opposite. So it's really looking at reframing our listening and speaking with common core standards, listening and speaking so that, you know, we're just all around showing up in a much more compassionate and empathetic way with our communication partners. And we're able to support one another in a healthier, wise clear like and have more clarity while we're doing it i love this because uh, the other part that i i'm just thinking how i would talk to my my kids with autism or my autistic kiddos about this and and we talk about uh some of my kids call it a karma bank account i try to call it the communication bank account but it's the idea that when you do something nice for somebody it's like making a deposit and then when you do something negative it's like a withdrawal and the and the positive could be saying hello to them and then the negative could be a teacher giving you a test so it's not like murder versus buying chocolate it is just uh, mm-hmm. the, the natural thing this makes me really feel that like just by doing these four things those are huge deposits so that when so that unfortunately when we do have to make those demands there's something to not zero out that kid is that Let's, let, okay, so there's there's two things in that. One I want to get yeah. I want I want to one I want to get to when you say because when we do have to make those demands, I want to yes. layer that just a little okay. bit. Well, but, so but, like using the example of you have to wear a helmet when you ride your bike. There is no like I understand that it, it's uncomfortable. We can try to make it fit better, but you have to wear the helmet for safety reasons. I feel like that would be a demand. Yeah. When I when I see kids riding their bikes without helmets. I feel worried. I have a need for safety. Would you be willing to ride, wear your helmet while you're riding a bike? And kid says, no. Okay. Then listen, like I'm going to unlayer that. Why? What are you feeling? How are you feeling in this moment? Or what are you needing? Well, you know, I, I want, I feel stressed out. I have a need for independence or to make my own decisions. Okay. So let's connect together. How can we find a way that's going to meet both of our needs? What are some other ways that you could find independence? Can we oh, brainstorm okay. those? I see what you're saying. Can we brainstorm some other ways? And or maybe we put we share that power in, okay, well, I'll, you know, we do this a lot with our kiddos where we still let them feel like they're making a choice. Okay, no problem. So we can choose to ride the bicycle with the helmet, or we can choose to do this activity where you don't you don't <laughs> you have can drive to the power helmet. wheel in the grass. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that, well, I mean, that was our little, that was our little flip switch for our boys. It was like, you either wear your helmet or you ride the power wheel. Like, yeah, one you'll fall off and one you, the battery will die and you're pushing it back up the hill. Isn't that still a demand or is that, or is that just a nicer, like, I I guess maybe that's where I get confused. I think if you, so, right. So the question, that's, (laughs) no, that's okay. So we're right. We're, so kiddo wants to ride a bike without a helmet. You're saying wear a helmet and they say, no, what do you do next? Well, if, if it's my kid, mm-hmm. I like legit, that was one of the, that was one of our compromises. It was you either ride the bike with the helmet, you pick out the helmet. I will go buy you a new helmet if it's too small or you ride the power wheel without the helmet. Either way, 
you can still ride in the road. You can ride in the grass, but if it's the bike, you have to have the helmet because it's part of the bike. Right. So, why well, I'm hearing a choice in that. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm hearing a choice. I think uh, it's. So, is a demand then just no choice? Is a demand no choice? So, a demand is if I ask you something and you don't follow through, there's a consequence. Right. So, if there is a negative outcome, so you're a punishment. Yeah. In some nature means that I've taken a request. I, it means that so I can still make my request and somebody could not listen and they right. could go off and do their own thing. And I don't give them um, a, a punishment. OK. It was still a request. But the second I lay a punishment on there, That's it is the a demand. Dem it is a demand. Got it. But I would just say I would. But so, again, if you're getting kind of stuck in a power struggle, yeah. I would try to connect to why the kiddo doesn't want to wear a helmet, how they're feeling and what they're needing. And is there a way to support their needs? Is there other ways you could support their needs, just not in this scenario? And we can make it an open discussion, just about bringing it to an open discussion and showing that I value uh, okay. you. I, I value you how you're feeling when I ask you to wear that helmet. And yeah, you know what? That is frustrating. That does suck. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't feel good on your head and, or the other kids don't have it. Maybe you feel embarrassed. Yeah. It doesn't feel fun to be embarrassed as a kid in front of other kids. Like I wouldn't like like that feeling either. So I see you're having a need for independence. I see, are there some other ways that we could find independence that maybe won't lead to unsafe situations? Ah, okay. I see. What could you're we saying. maybe, yeah, could, and, and, and we work together, right? So rather than just saying, no, this is happening. If you don't do it, there's no bike riding at all. That's it. End of story. Close book. Right. Like, okay. Right. <laughs> so we're just opening the dialogue to okay. connecting to what's going on with I you like as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So those are the four steps, observation, feelings, needs, and request for listening and speaking. And again, it comes from Dr. Marshall Rosenberg. And you can find out information on that at cnvc.org. Um, there are actually, and these are my interpretations that I shared today. There are big trainers. Yeah. There are trainers out there in the world that go into big businesses and do this. I'm not a trainer. So I'm, I just want to point out, I'm sharing my interpretations of these strategies that have been effective in my own personal and professional life. And I hope that um, you will adopt some of these into your if you want more information, I on my, you don't have to be on Instagram to grab this, but on my Instagram under my link tree. So my Instagram handle is golden.state.slp. And under my link tree, I have actually a free 45-minute video that is a workshop training through this that, that extensively kind of goes into all of the parts that I shared today a, a little more lightly. And um and there's experiential practice in there. And then I also have um, a link for a free workbook and you can Ooh. scan the, the QR code and it's a free ebook that I've created that has this four-step path, what the four-step path is. It has word banks that you can use and practice sentences to look at for the field of speech pathology. So you can look at reframing your language. So those are available. You just put in your email. It will add you to my email subscription list. So if you want to unsubscribe, you can. If you stay in my email, I do send out sometimes weekly or two times a month free resources as it relates to mindfulness and the role of SLPs and SLPAs and also compassionate communication strategies and therapy activities or different YouTube episodes or research articles that I came across that I think are very helpful. I send those out to my email list as well. 
I was going to try to wrap this up with a witty way to do this. And I don't know how, so I'm going to try to muddle my way through. So please, please educate me as I go. So if I observed you correctly today, I saw your voice inflection go up and you talked with your hands, which made me think you were excited about the topic. You need folks to go to your link tree to get more information because of the they could choose not to, which is the request. <laughs> I love it. Did I do that wow. right? Was I pretty close? Honestly, I think that was amazing yes. for your first trial at it and to, and to do it so quickly because you, you didn't even take a lot of time there to, yes, you, uh, you oh, your observation. Was, while was you were doing that, I was 30 point. seconds going, how do I make this as a sentence? And so- yes, you're on point. I was feeling excited <laughs> and it's, yes, I do have a need to educate and connect with others. So that's my need. And yeah, would you guys be willing to go check out these resources? I love it. <laughs> awesome. Stephanie, would you but you don't willing- have to. I'm not going to punish you if you don't. <laughs> Uh, I am going to say, I don't know what my observation is, but I'm going to say that I was so excited to have you on the show. It made me happy. I need you to come back. So if you're willing, would you come back for another show? My answer is yes, I, I would. It, that would be that would be wonderful. I had a great time with you. Thank you so much. I appreciate just your time and your space and everything that you're doing with this podcast and putting Thank it you. out out to the world. And it, and it's so fun. You're obviously a very fun, charismatic host and witty too. So I'm going to leave all this in, just to, so you know. Yeah, don't edit this out. Nope. I'm sure you're going to be very fun to listen to. So. Thank you. Your personality. I can see it on the screen, but others can't, but they'll be able to hear it in, in your voice. So hopefully we'll be, we'll be right back. Thank (laughs) you. Welcome back to speech science. I'm Matt Hot, joined by Rachel Archambault. Hello. Michelle Wintering. Hi, Matt. The whole time I was doing that interview, Rachel, I was thinking, what would Rachel want me to ask? That's nice. So. I just thought you should know that. That's I appreciate all. that so much. So I'm making a difference. See, you are making a difference. <laughs> you are. You know you are. how else I want to make a difference? And this is totally vague and vain. And I thought about this during the break. Michelle, do you remember what my ultimate goal was in grad school? Become Dr. Hot. Become Dr. Hot. So I could call and yeah. have them page for Dr. Hot to come get the phone call. That was my yeah. ultimate goal. Oh, yes. I remember that. Oh, but you know, Michelle, that was, was your softball. Give me a minute, man. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I was, I was thinking about the article we just talked about when you said that too, because, um, because you and I both talked about going on for our PhDs mm-hmm. and the the article about that power differential, um, between research and clinicians and how often the researchers are at minimum doctoral students and most of them are called doctor and just that alone creates this power differential and social context and that was touched on in the article i didn't get to mention it earlier but um well that's like uh, going by doctor is slp's wearing scrubs or white coats i was gonna say the same thing Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm well, I know I get so much more respect in the nursing homes that I go and visit. Because you're a man. <laughs> I wasn't going to go that way. <laughs> I meant, wow, probably. But also I meant <laughs> like, I've got a story about that. Um, But like, I meant more like when you're in the medical setting, there is this like sense of your, your, you have, there's this mentality that you have to be trained more 
to work in this medical setting mm -hmm. than you yep. do in the school setting. Yeah, that's a big misconception. Or or more importance in general that yes, like, yes. oh, you don't just work with kids and give them candy. Mm -hmm. You are working with this group of people that it, it's seen that there's another power differential with it. It's just the clientele. Mm -hmm. And True. instead of it just being Miss Rachel, it's, you know, Rachel, who's the SLP mm -hmm. in this hospital. And it comes with a different, it's perceived as a different weight. Yeah. Speaking of uh, healthcare stuff, uh, did you guys see what popped up in the Discord last week? Kind of remind me of that. I don't uh, the discussion about the trans healthcare bans and the impact it'll have on voice therapists. Uh, so I I did think about that, and I know by me we have uh, University of Miami, Florida, um, that has a massive program over there mm -hmm. um and one of my former tas is now a very well-known researcher in this field um adam lloyd he's incredible um but it it is something that does make a difference and again we are in florida that there's a lot of legal um ramifications uh, about working with the transgender population um so it is it's a lot um it's really difficult. Yeah, one of our Discorders, and you can be one of our Discorders, go to our website and the link is up there. Uh, talked about how uh, they have concerns uh, because of the loss of hormones. Uh, no idea what to expect for voices of trans masculine people in particular. I never even thought about that when, you know, talking, because I, I know I don't handle voice at all. I do pragmatic stuff. So, you know, I, we do talk about body language. I never even thought about the the hormone treatment part of of voice therapy so you can also join into our discord over at speechsciencepodcast.com all right every time at the end of the show we look at asha at the good the bad the questionable and we say what up asha what up asha, what up, asha? what's up asha this month better hearing and speech month 2020 Three. It looks I like I always wrongly say better speech, better speech and, and hearing. hearing month. Month. Yep. Me too, but it's BHSM. Uh, this year, it looks like they are targeting more of the screen time sort of mixed with hearing loss. Uh, that looks like the two two things that they are uh, focusing on this month. Michelle, what I does that look for? I, I'm confused on also. screen time? Yeah, what is the what? screen time? You guys part? don't ever see this before? Like, they always talk about, like, they have, like, two well, or three things they target the whole month. No, I mean, I, I know that, but I'm just wondering, what is their, what are they getting at? Oh, the B-Tech, oh, B-Tech-wise with your toddler. Avoid yeah. over screen time. Make sure I you mean, talk and play with them. The whole premise is how to increase communication. And mm -hmm. one of the, so... The big thing about this is on Ash's page, it says a note about the name Better Hearing and Speech Month. So it's been going as this name for 50 years now, and it says it is remaining the same for 2023. But later this year, there's going to be an announcement about the future of the month's name. So I am very curious to know what they're going to name it because there have been criticism in, in, in the past about the language that's used for better hearing and speech month. Uh, one of the criticisms being that it is ableist, that mm. our, our speech is not enough. It's better. Um, it needs to be better. So I'm interested to see what it will be. And I hope that 
Asha doesn't fumble the bag. <laughs> and no, it's, I'm, I'm intrigued. I want to know what the name is. It's very much. It is. Me. It's it's bothering me that they, they will put let out us a, know later this year. I know. Just told us after. Exactly. Don't tell us that it's going to change later on. We're only in April. Like I, I need to know now. That's like someone texting me like we need to talk and then they ghost me. And I'm like, <laughs> I need to know. I love you guys. You guys make this show so much it more fun. It is so great. Uh, um, their theme this year for 2023 is building a strong foundation. That is the tech with toddlers and hearing loss and children. I'm sorry, Michelle. Continue. No, I I pulled up the screen time thing because I, I know you're saying screen time, but I think that I'm it, it's more than it screen now. time. It's, I was just more than screen time. It's correct. about. Yes. And they're they're not saying no screen time. They're saying um, because there has been, I, I have read some of the recent research on that, right. About how it's, it's the quality, not quantity. That is the mm-hmm. bigger issue, um, or should be your, your bigger focus when it comes to screen time. And also for me as a parent, it's like, what, how can I use it to, to help me in some capacity? Of course. And, and for me, that is putting on a choice show while it, we're cooking dinner or something. True. Um, and so I, I guess I, I hesitate when, things say very quickly like no screen time yep. um so i wanted to see that's all sorry i apologize for overgeneralizing. we are a screen time household in this family <laughs> with your love of movies i figured you movies and video games our kids however uh my kid just got straight a's so yeah and he improved in his reading what grade is he in now third wow i know yeah. the other one's in kindergarten and the little girl is in preschool. Your kid, whatever it is, is my birthday at, two, buddy, right? at two years old. He is your birthday yeah. buddy. Don't get old, Rachel. Never Don't get old. Never. Never, never get old. Never grow up. All right. That brings us to the end of the show. This is my favorite time to ask you guys something fun, cool, and or interesting that is happening in your lives in the next two weeks. It used to be one week, but I think we're now a bi-monthly show, bi-weekly show, however you want to call that. Two a bi-monthly? month? Bi-monthly. Two a month is bi-monthly. Bi-monthly, yeah. But it's bi-monthly bi- I know. makes me think I know. once every two months. Look it up. It's very annoying. Twice uh, twice a week. I yeah, hate bi-an- biannually English. is twice a year. Bi-monthly I- means... Oh, now I'm confusing myself. <laughs> ...occurring every two months or twice a month. Or, is it that silly? Oh, it's both. Goodness gracious, I <laughs> hate English. No wonder it's confusing for everybody. Sometimes anywho, we are the other definition, though, so it's okay. Anywho, what are you guys up to? Anything fun, cool, and or interesting? I uh, This is the sign that I'm becoming an old man. Is uh, I may have to go buy a new tractor, and I ordered the Sunday Lawn Care so that they mailed me mailed me uh, grass seeds and fertilizer for my yard. That is that is my excitement. I am trying to figure out how to do this LLC stuff, PTSD SLP LLC. Yes. Um, it feels like every step that I do, it's like, oh, get the LLC, like get the name, do this there's another step that pops up that I didn't know about. So it's, it's becoming a lot. It's really stressful, but um, I'm hoping that someone can give me answers because it's not, 
I'm not doing speech therapy. It's more consulting and presenting. So I'm not sure what licenses I need and all this stuff. So it's becoming a lot, but um, I, I would like to spend some time working on that this weekend. I, I'll throw this out there because I think it's good for a lot of SLPs to know, but do you have a small, can you look up your local um, county small business association office? Um, if you haven't done that, yeah. Then make sure you do. They're an awesome resource most places. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. I'll do that. Thank you. Yeah. As you were saying that, Rachel, my brain went to the Paula Abdul song, Opposites Tracked, for the two steps forward and two steps back. Oh, there yeah. you go. Thanks. Sorry. I didn't know the title, I'll be honest. <laughs> you I'm, I'm glad you I'm do. Like, yeah. Two steps yeah, forward. Sounds good. Two steps back. All right. Michelle, what are you doing? I'm excited about swim lessons because my son has been anxious about them and uh, we just picked out a pair of goggles for him because we realized that the big part was water in the eyes. So um, he picked out his color and everything and he's been asking me how many sleeps, how many days until swim lessons again now. Um, So I'm hoping that will go well. They have a couple of weeks for a few more weeks. I'm trying to think of a witty thing. I have nothing. (laughs) I have nothing other than... Our Just intro music today pause. was please <laughs> listen carefully. I was letting our closing music, the slow burn by Kevin McLeod license under creative commons attribution lines license play a little bit under my, uh, my thoughtful, thoughtful moments. Uh, intro music is please listen carefully by Jazar license under an attribution share like license. And our bump music was the County fair rock copyright, a John day find his music at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music i think john's music has been playing now for five six years on the show so we appreciate you john and if you have music you want to feature let us know we would love to feature it uh for the oh almost forgot in the immortal words of janice Wright, always be a willow the oak looks strong but will crack under the first sign of pressure the willow will bend and return to form for the missing willow marie And current Willows, Rachel, Michelle, I'm Matt. Until next time, so long, everybody. Bye. Bye. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. And rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.